Hello and welcome to another episode of the ABC Music Talk podcast. This show falls into the disciplines category and is titled The Artist as an Entrepreneur. Originally, I was going to do, I was going to put this in the, the basic stream and just have me kind of talking about it conceptually, but then I landed an interview with an actual artist. This means I can talk specifically about the artist discipline. So, and, uh, and we're going to be doing this from the point of view of an independent artist. And my guest today is the amazing DJ, producer, songwriter, and many other things, Scott Diaz. Welcome to the show, Scott. It's a hell of an intro. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think it's appropriate. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, just to give you a quick quick idea of what I'm going to try and do with this is, um, I'm, I want to introduce you and kind of learn about your beginnings. Uh, then we'll talk about this idea of you as an entrepreneur. Uh, how it applies to you, um, perhaps even talk about whether it's right for everyone. Um, and then also I wanted to just quickly sort of like talk about kind of the role of industry professionals outside of that, right? Uh, and then of course, hopefully if you've got any any tips uh, for aspiring uh, artists and artists as entrepreneurs at the end, then uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. But um, so um, you're best known as a, D- a globe-trotting DJ, a producer and remixer, pretty much in the sort of house and garage sort of arena um and i was really because obviously i was reading up about you i mean we know each other anyway but i i you know i realized i didn't know everything about you and i mean you a couple of years ago you had 10 productions in the track source end of year bestsellers list which considering the volume of what's in track source that's that's pretty impressive so you're obviously pretty prolific as well yeah i mean the track source is a Track Source is a site that suits the music I've a lot of the stuff I've made over the years. Um, as a as a as a retailer, it's customer base, I guess. What I make resonates with them, so maybe there's, that's why there's a big spike there. That's kind of you know what you might call is my community, right? Um, although I would say that I make kind of stuff that's broader, but nevertheless, I've I've done a lot of music that's done well on there. And I should say that those 10 tracks were across different genres. So so it wasn't 10% of the overall top 100, but each genre that they have has a top 100. And I might have had two or three tracks in, you know, three of the genres and one in another one. Because I make kind of like, you know, broad stuff, um genre wise that it fits into slightly different categories and obviously that all depends on yeah where tracks will see it fitting or where the label see it fitting but yeah so it wasn't it wasn't 10 percent of the overall top 100 but it was it was it was tracks that had been best selling in their particular area scattered across those those areas those those genres basically yeah okay yeah i mean i you know i i as I've, i think i've said on these these uh these podcasts before um you know i, I did some work with beatport which is you know something similar and i just i just know how much music goes through there that um for you to have that many still i regardless of all of the uh, the caveats you just added there i still think it's pretty impressive um and um I, well, actually one of the other things i wanted to uh, just uh briefly touch on just for my listeners uh, to understand one of the reasons why i do this podcast is because uh scott well i know scott anyway but he um uh he put a a, a post out on instagram which uh was it began with abc always be creating now as you know this is called the abc music talk podcast so there was, a, there was something that caught my eye there anyway but it was a, a <clears throat> the, the picture that i saw i don't know whether it was just the way it was scrolling through my timeline a lot, but it was a picture of a particular microphone called a Zoom H4, 
and I use a, a Zoom H2 for, for recording this podcast and it just kind of really captured my imagination. So Scott is also one of the reasons why uh, I am actually doing this podcast. So um, if you hate it, blame him. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I'm curious. Um, actually, no, I have another question first of all. So I, I just described you as a, a DJ, a producer and a remixer, but I know you do some other stuff. So in fact, in that Instagram post, the, the, what, what one of the things that you were talking about was uh, the, uh, the 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 foley stuff that you were recording, kind of sounds of Amsterdam and, and that type of stuff. I mean, yep. that's that isn't being a, a DJ uh, necessarily, right? So, uh, but I know that you do a few other things as well, sort of around samples and that type of thing. Yeah. So, how would you describe yourself? Well, I would I would describe myself primarily. I mean, I would say I'm a DJ and producer. Um, I started off DJing. That's the first thing I ever did. I was buying records before. I could do anything else. Um, so I'll always see myself as a DJ. I think everything else is kind of a natural extension of that for the most part. You know, wanting to play, make your own music so you can play that music out and hopefully have the same impact on people as the music that you enjoy playing. Um, and then then it's, yeah, it's just a natural process of wanting to create your own and, and kind of get more involved in it. But I think now there's a there's a sense of, with the modern music business, I think there's a sense of you almost you have to do kind of lots of things to a competent level at least, and that just that goes for you know perhaps doing your own mixing, um, you know from a production perspective, maybe doing your own mastering, maybe uh, being good at recording vocals. If you're a singer, lots of singers now record their own vocals, whereas years ago a singer would have had no clue at all what the recording process was. Right. Um, and then and within that you've got social media digital marketing you know graphic design if you're running a label all of these things can be kind of outsourced and shipped out but there's a cost associated with that either in monetary terms or you have to do something back so you're giving up some time and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't but all of that's just to say that there's now this kind of you know instead of doing one thing really really well which you could have done 20 or 25 years ago yeah you know you were just a vocal recording engineer you were just a mixing engineer or an assistant there's some even record even there's some even uh, dance records house records that were released on independent labels like casual like owned by cashmere and these kind of people and you look at some of the credits and there's like 11 people involved yeah, right. and it's a house record um you know someone playing percussion yeah. two people mixing it two people you know recording vocals etc and there just isn't the uh, there isn't the money in sales of the actual music to facilitate that many people being involved in um, the recording of one song or a couple of songs, yeah. unless you've got something really specific going on. Unless you're you know a Louis Vega and you've got lots of history and heritage and some you know money there and 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 whatever else. So to go back to the you know the question to circle back around. I kind of do a lot, a little bit of everything now because I think it's necessary. Right. I think the game has changed, basically. I think that looking at, you know, producers and DJs in this kind of very linear way that we used to see them, where we just say, well, they just make music and they play some records and that's it. Even if you don't get paid to do any of the other things, even just hacking your social media and posting things and creating little videos and consumers are creators now, you know, so... Um, so I, it's sort of almost by necessity that you have to do all of these other things. 
But that isn't to say that I don't enjoy some of them because, for example, you touched on doing the samples. That's something which I kind of fell into and I've kind of done more and more and more of it over the years. Can, you, can you explain a little bit more? Like, so, ba- so basically there's a market for... Um, now that now that the, the, the kind of barrier to entry for making music is so low, and I say that in the sense of... You know, there are iPhone apps, there are iPad apps, there, are, there there's a, you know, people, laptops are cheap, you know, these, the things that you make music on have gotten cheaper, um, the apps or the things that you use to make them have gotten cheaper, um, and so that means that it's opened up sort of this accessibility and democratised it, so even my eight-year-old nephew can have an app on the iPad right. that he can mess around with. Well, those apps and those kind of things need sounds, and these producers need sounds to work with, and often they're not uh, always at a competent level where they can play the keyboard or they understand how to make a particular sound from a particular era. What keyboard was that made on? What processing was on it that made it sound a particular way, etc., etc. Right. These are the things that come not only with age but also just with your embedding yourself into that music. You know, I'm interested in Chicago House. Oh, what were they making at the time that made it sound like that? Why is it really raw? Why is it this? Why is it that? So. For somebody like me or people that have got more experience or are interested in that kind of background and the more technical kind of nerdy side of it, mm-hmm. um, it means that there's, there's this opportunity essentially to make sounds that other people can buy. And that's essentially what it is. You put them into a marketplace and somebody else says, I really like that. That's inspiring for me to listen to. And I would like to use it. It's the equivalent of, you know, picking up a disco record and being like, wow, that bit's great. I want to use it. Except you can get that without having to pay any royalties because someone's already created it in a royalty-free sense for you to use. So I kind of fell into that and kind of did a couple and they were with sort of within my specific genre. And then I kind of started, they did pretty well. and I started getting asked to do more and um, I've worked for Akai, Sample Magic, Native Instruments, Loop Masters, um, Novation and Focusrite who are, part of the same company so all the major companies in that space pretty much um, I've done various things for so yeah it's just become something that's sort of just taken up more and more of my time yeah. over the years and it's just something that basically supplements my income and allows me to do all the other things I want to do such as get really nice artwork or pay somebody to do a remix or so it's essentially like part just part of the ecosystem this actually reminds me of so you uh i, I saw you talk on a panel at a bright music conference um this year yeah, yeah this year yeah and um uh one of the things that really stood out to me because you were sitting on a panel with a bunch of other producers and it i think during the question time it kind of got into you know people's processes and what, how they did it and there, there were a few of the producers on there i felt that were probably the people that were just using the sorts of things that you were creating, whereas you were sitting there talking about scales and key signatures and all, all this kind of much more kind of like music, you know, sort of like the, the, the composition aspect of it. Right. Whereas I think I felt like some of the other producers, and I'm not doing air quotes, but I could be, um, uh, you know, were, were those that were just using the kind of the loops and the samples and, and you know, the, the, the kind of... Uh, you know the bits of kit to, to to make music based on somebody else else's music, whereas you're sitting here actually composing stuff. And I, actually, just just uh, you guys can't see this, but I'm sitting in Scott's studio with him, uh, which is hopefully why the sound quality is better than anything else that I've ever recorded so far. A uh, nice dead room, um, and it is absolutely jam packed with well, lots of outboard stuff, um, but keyboards everywhere, 
um, and, and of course record decks being a DJ um, but you know it's it's clearly the workspace of somebody who is creating from scratch an awful lot of his music and, I, and I'm not sure that that is the, the, the case for every sort of you know uh, dance producer no I, I would agree but also I think there's a there's a distinction because I'm a bit older now I'm 37 now and I kind of grew up you know uh, I basically started making music when you had to use you know compressors and and kind of and hardware units and stuff and <coughs> desks and all of that and now you don't have to use any of that stuff yeah. and so there's just a different you know it is it is a different approach now you can't blame somebody for you know uh for not um, not knowing what it was like to not have a mobile phone, as an example. 100%, this is yeah. just the era that we're in now, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a different way of making it. But what it does mean is that, yeah, these there's people that are kind of, you know, it's it's a really interesting philosophical question because dance music especially is based heavily on sampling. Um, and one of the new projects that I'm working on is a, is a, is a new sample label. Um, and it's going to, all being well it's going to go be distributed through splice although we're going to do our own website and stuff too but um and the idea it's called nightlife audio and it's basically focused around nightlife genres so yeah. club culture and sort of the art of sampling are kind of the focus that's the story and so you know i'm a sort of big believer in i'm a, I'm a maker of samples but i'm also a user of them yeah. you know oh, sure. I'm, I'm also i'm i'm if I hear something else I like, I'm like, oh, that's great. I'll take, you know, <laughs> I'll use that kick yeah, or yeah. I'll do that, you know. So I'm a kind of consumer and a creator of these things. Um, and sometimes you're in that creation mode and you've got all your things and you're messing around with, with everything and you're in that zone. And sometimes you're like, I just want to, I want something that inspires me. I want to just grab something. And, right, yes, right, right. Oh, I can, I'm here. I can hear an idea around this already. And that's, that's why sampling is so powerful. That's why, you know, Daft Punk and all these people that have, mm -hmm done really well out of it it's essentially it's like taking something and just re-envision you know giving it a new vision essentially well also you're making music for the audience right and so using samples is a great way of making something immediately um uh not not obvious but appealing to them because they perhaps have heard it before somewhere else right, right? and so there's a sort of that triggers sort of memories of, of moments before when they've heard it before right? yeah there's a nostalgic element to yeah. it for sure and you're you're sort of compressing condensing all of this musical feeling and emotion and musicianship and talent you know for example with an old disco record you're taking that one or two bars of a patrice russian tune and you're sort of condensing you know eight or ten people that might have been playing on it and the recording and all the techniques and everything that went into it and you're condensing that into a you know a three second bit of energy that right. you can then loop over and you know in, in the case of those kind of samples uh, or whether it's you know, taking a, as a lot of old hardcore records used to take things from, you know, weird places like, uh, like a Kate Bush track or kind of very like esoteric sort of textural things. And, um, so, so I'm a big, I'm a, I, I came up on samples, you know, yeah, sure. when I was, when I was 16, 17, 18, and my friends and I kind of banded our, you know, bit of money together to buy some basic equipment, like a sampler, like a basic desk and, you know, kind of a couple, a couple of cheap effects units. We were all just kind of learning together, and we were just—it was all samples. That was yeah. how you made things then. I wasn't a classically trained musician. I didn't even have a piano list until I was twenty-one. Yeah. So it wasn't like I grew up playing piano from the age of five or ten, and so I had this very musical kind of um, approach to it. It was very much like, yeah, let's take that and put it in there, and you know, trim it up and stab. You know, very kind of like, very sort of. Uh, 
so, so this prehistoric was, stabbing on the keyboard kind of thing, you know, and that's that's really what a lot of dance music was, you know, yeah. drum messing around with a drum machine, and yeah, right. that's kind of where it all came from. So, I'm I'm in favour of um, of samples and of the sort of culture of sampling, and I guess what I'm what we're trying to do with nightlife is the idea is to take it big and be really ambitious with it as we as we build it up, so we can actually do things like actually make. So is, make, is, not, is Nightlife the name of the, the sample label? Nightlife Audio is the yeah. name of the sample right, label, cool. yeah. And what we're going to do with that is eventually to take it to a place where we can actually get things like disco sessions done and actually create samples from disco records that we've made yeah. that then actually can then be uh, sold as royalty-free. So people can actually use these as in the same way they would uh, uh, from sampling from a disco record but without any of the legal repercussions yeah that's the idea and yeah. then there's so many other there's so many much other scope within that because all of the like jungle and drum and bass and um and garage and house and all of this they're all based on on samples mm-hmm. um so that's the that's the uh, that's the idea with it so yeah so it takes up a fair bit of my time it, it's it's gone it's ebbed and flowed over the years some some years i've i've only made like you know probably 10 or 15 records in the in that year because right. i've just been focusing on so much on other things mm-hmm. and then uh other years i've it's been completely opposite i might have made like done one or two projects for sound design and everything else has been you know tracks 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 yeah so it does depend but yeah. that's you you mentioned splice as well yeah uh, uh, just for the benefit of the people listening um just talk about splice a little bit as, as what that is so splice started out as a um as a collaboration platform um that was the original intention as i understand it it was for people to upload their their daw you know logic pro uh, or ableton projects right and basically it would synchronize it in the cloud yeah and then somebody else could actually get access to that you could give them access to to your project right. um and so then you could pre, essentially pre, collaborate pre-sound cloud this Cause, is cause it's kind of, i mean i know it's a different type of thing but it was a it was after i think after. it's been around a right. few years right but it's a big company it's a major thing now um you know they've got a big office in Manhattan. It's backed by, you know, I think it's backed by like guys that went to like Yale and so, oh, so like some clever people, some very serious people, <laughs> yeah. Um, and what I think what happened is my understanding of it from 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 the people that you know I know a couple of people that work there and they're involved in it. And so my understanding from what they told me is that once the collaboration platform was set up and then they st- the sounds were kind of tacked on as an additional. Like, hey, we should give people some sounds to use, you right. know. And then very quickly that became the focus. Everybody was probably like, actually, this is the business. Yeah. This is what we should be doing. And so it's just it's just grown. It's become a, you know, they, they basically pioneered the single download sound. Um, so for years and years, it was all about buying full packs. And what you had to do is you had to basically, you know, make the content for the pack, um, which meant you had to make loads of content because people wanted value. They wanted a gigabyte of sounds for £35, right? Um, because this was the, the kind of... Psychologically, people wanted that. Well, this is a lot of sounds. They yeah. all, It wasn't, you know... It we almost... used to buy them on CDs, right? So you'd, yeah. buy, you'd buy a CD for yeah. sounds. Yeah, and so then that, then, that, then that equivalent thing became like, now we don't have to print a CD, but you still have to buy the full yeah. pack. Well... The problem that you had is that if you made a really good demo song, you could potentially sort of misrepresent the pack, if that's the right way of putting it. You could use all the best sounds in the demo, and then all the filler stuff you wouldn't put in the demo, but somebody would still buy the the, the pack, right? Right. The other thing was that what you were really paying for when you purchased that pack was you were paying for a license to use the sounds as well. 
So you weren't just paying for the sounds, you were paying for a license to use those sounds yeah. royalty free. Mm -hmm. Almost like a, you know, like you would do with a sample. Mm -hmm. Except you were only paying £35. Yeah. Well, Splice came along and said, well, we want to give people the choice of individual downloads. Everything else is a la carte. iTunes is a la carte. Right, I was going to say, I mean, that was ultimately what Apple did to the music industry. They said, Absolutely. no longer can you have a, a, an album of 10 tracks with only two singles on it. You've yep. now got to, you know, and, and you're forcing the consumer to buy the whole album. Yeah. Uh, now everyone get, can get just the songs that they want. Yeah. Um, and, so, yeah. It's, so you're right. It's basically same. an extension of what yeah. was already going on outside of the sample world. Yeah. Um, and so they just, they basically uh, set up this, this fantastic system for doing it it's great you scroll through the sounds are tagged because of course when you're doing it in that fashion the tagging has to be really good so you know exactly what you're looking for you can you know i'm looking for a brass uh, a saxophone or trumpet sample in the in the key of a flat minor and you can like you know drill down and find exactly that um search by what samples are called you know keywords and so on so and then it just grew. It just became this platform where they've got, you know, amazing, I mean, high-level people. We're talking about, you know, Scott Storch has just done a pack. Um, Travis Barker has done a drums pack. You know, it's like, it, it's almost like if you could if you could have a label and it was a sample label and you could get the best possible people to do packs, what would that look like and yeah. who would you get? You'd get Kendrick Lamar's producer. You'd get, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Scott. That, that They've taken it to that place. And obviously yeah. that involves having the money and the funding and all the rest of it. But they've grown it uh, amazingly, and it's a subscription service, so they need consistently new content. and mm -hmm. So that's what Splice is. It's kind of changed the, the game in that sense. Loop Masters, you know, who I worked closely with before, they kind of, they kind of revolutionized it because they took it all online from the, the mm -hmm. CD era. Um, they were kind of the first people to say, hey, we've got this sample marketplace and everything's online now. Yeah. And they kind of, they were the, you know, one of the first people to get artist packs consistently, Carl yeah. Cox and these kind of people. And then Splice have come along and kind of, you know, said, right, now we're going to do single downloads and we're going to take it here. And so that's, um, yeah, we're just, I'm just in a discussion with Splice at the moment about hopefully having them distribute the label. Oh, wonderful. Um, and, uh, which, which makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. There's a, there's a real, there's a, the, the kind of samples that we're going to be specialising in um, and the, and my with my contacts in the in, in the business in that particular world in the dance yeah. music world the people that I can sort of pull in because the idea is to make everything authentically you know it's none of this like as you say like people using you know people say, one of the problems with the sample industry was that people were basically just taking stuff from other people and saying that they made it right. Yeah. They would take a stab, create a riff out of it, but they didn't create the stab in the first place. They sampled it. And that's all well and good if you're using it in a track, but you can't sell that to somebody else as a royalty-free sample. Yeah. So there was all this, you know, there wasn't these standards around the industry like there maybe is now, or mm -hmm. there has been for the... And I've had lots of discussions with this about with different people, but kind of trying to get this standard of like, you know, this is these are sound sources that you can use, these are not. You know, you can't say something is a Rhodes piano if it's not a Rhodes piano. Yeah. You can say it's an electric piano if you made it with a VST, but you can't tell somebody it's a Rhodes because that implies that you used a real keyboard. Uh -huh. So we've kind of been getting sessions done and, um, you know, as you can see here, I've got things to process things through. So I've actually got outboard gear um, because this this is important for the credibility of like, hey, I'm actually doing it properly and you can yeah. actually see what we're doing and 
all the rest of it. So if you say something's been recorded to cassette and then processed, it actually has. Um, You know, we've got, I've got, there's all kinds of other things. We've got people that do stuff for us, like they'll run sounds through VHS and bring, give us back the samples. (laughs) It's called a resampling service. That's kind of an industry that's popped up. That's amazing. It's like, hey, you don't have an MPC 60? I do. Give me all those sounds and I'll put them through an MPC 60 and charge you X. And now you can actually say, these sounds were processed through MPC 60. Then we did this with them. And, you know, so it's all that kind of stuff. But it's doing it in a way that gives people peace of mind, is really authentic. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it can be really fun because you're like, you know, you're, you're sort of sourcing pieces of equipment. Oh, I want to do a Chicago house pack. Right, well, I need to get a Juno. I want to sit. I need to get that. And, you know, yeah. so that's kind of what we're going to do with it and do it, do it all properly in an authentic way that actually is as close to the way that people would have made it at the time. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to all the early 90s jungle, using samplers, using old Roland Space Echo delays, using old desks and distortion units and all of that. So yeah. so we're, so it's a big project uh, in amongst all the other stuff I'm doing, but we'll, you, we'll but, see. But it, it absolutely is a good example of why I wanted to talk to you in particular on this subject of the, the artist as an entrepreneur, because, you I mean, you are blending both of those disciplines right together like almost like continuously right it's obviously heavily artistic in terms of what you're what you're doing there because it is about sound it is about audio it's about understanding kind of the makeup of composition or the rest of it yeah but um you know ultimately there's this sort of other business side to it which is different from you know being a dj booked in a club right right you know so you're not just a dj doing that you are thinking continuously about your entire kind of world um, and that's that's where that entrepreneurial spirit really kicks in, I think, for you, for you in particular. You've, you talked a little bit about some of your background, um, but I, I don't think I know your complete origin story. I don't know how you ended up having your own studio in, in England and, and, as I say, like being a, a globe-trotting DJ. But, I mean, where did it where did it come from? Did you play a musical instrument before? Like, were you? Were you <laughs> no, kind of... I didn't. As I said earlier, I didn't have any piano lessons till I was 21. Um, I was interested in... Um, I was interested in music from about, I mean, I, I was always, you know, there was something about it I liked um, when I was sort of 11 or 12. I'd always listen to stuff on the radio, Andy Kershaw, old radio shows. And, used to, you know, I used to ask my dad for like blank tape so I could record stuff on the radio. And yeah. I remember um, I had a double cassette tape deck and I would record stuff off the radio, the top 40. And... I remember mixing, there was a Robson and Jerome released a cover of Unchained Melody. Yeah, of course, yeah. And it was essentially like a ballad, right? So it had like no drums. It was all like very yeah, light yeah. sort of brush drums or something. And then there was this, uh, there was a song called Blurred. I don't know if you remember that. It was a, a cover of the Blur uh, Boys Who Like Girls. I can't remember what that song's yeah, called. But, yeah, yeah. but I think it's called Boys and Girls. But there was a dance version of that. Somebody right, basically bootlegged okay. it and did a dance version. And it was called, the guy was called... I think it was, the, the song was called Piano Man Blurred. Okay? Right, okay, it was obviously released as a as a bootleg, and then it basically got in the charts. Yeah, um, I mean that, that, that used to happen quite a lot, right? Yeah. Know, yeah, and so this record was like a kind of a dance. It was like a, I didn't know it at the time, but that it was house music, right? Right, 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 it was right. Commercial house, and uh, funny enough, I'm now friends with that, that guy who made it on Facebook. You know, Piano Piano Man, as he called himself, and I remember trying because this this. Robson and Jerome track didn't have any drums. Mm-hmm. I could put it over the top of ah, the other track. Okay. Now, of course, it was completely out of time, 
But I kind of like this idea of I could put this vocal on top of this other thing that it didn't belong to. Interesting. Um, and so that's kind of like would be the that, a very that, early version that, of mixing. That, that really. was the genesis, was it? Yeah. Was, right, okay. So then I was into that. And then I basically went to, I was at school and I borrowed a tape uh, of a, a friend of mine. I've said, I've told this story quite a few times in different um, like blogs, interviews and whatever. But there was a, uh, there was a, there was a, kind of like it was basically the time of like rave culture it's kind of like 93 94 um i mean it's kind of the tail end of it obviously but that this was when kind of all the big raves were popping up dreamscape tasmania mm-hmm. health scouter yeah. all these kind of things they were big airfields and stuff and i was a bit too young to go at that point but my friend got a tape pack and everything was done through tape packs back then you know they would obviously record the raves and put them out on an eight tape pack so you could essentially relive it. Right. And, and, you know, it would spread the sound further and yeah, get more cool. people involved. So there was this one tape, and I borrowed it off a friend. His name is Ricky Rutherford, and I borrowed it off him at school. Uh, and it was uh, Dreamscape 11, DJ Psy, and LSD on the other side. It was, I think it was the 1st of July, 1994. Wow. That was on the date on the tape. It's called wow. The Pinch and the Punch. That was a, that was kind of a tagline they gave the rave because it was the first of Is the it month. on YouTube? But it's it on is, YouTube, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it's on YouTube. I've got the MP3 of it. And that was the tape. That was a tape that kicked it off, off for me. Oh, I wow. took that tape home. I had a Walkman and I would just listen to this one tape and I would fall asleep with it. Um, and that, yeah, it just went round, it just went round and round. And from this moment, I was just obsessed with this sound. And then after that, I started getting sort of going out at like 16. I was going out to like, you know, illegal raves around Brighton yeah. outside the area. I was going to clubs. We were going to uh, Hastings Pier. We were going to Atomics in Maidstone. Oh, I, used to to, I used to go to Atomics as Atomics well. Was, yeah, yeah it's kind yeah. of a dark place, yeah, Atomics. But, <laughs> but yeah, we um, but yeah, we loved our, you know, we, we had a friend who's DJ up there. So we used to go with him. Um, sometimes he would do that. He was he used to play drum and bass and garage actually funny enough but so we went with him um, that was great we used to go to Astoria in London and all these kind of things and, and then I, I basically within this I'd met like a group of like minded people <coughs> excuse me Sorry. and um, yeah I've met a group of like minded people and we sort of you know started building a little studio putting a little studio together yeah. and so that was kind of where it all came from yeah, amazing so I've really sort of natural well you've, you've come from being a fan to uh, to wanting to participate in it I suppose and obviously, yeah and obviously finding a you know a skill set that originated from Robson and Jerome which is just wonderful <coughs> I think I, I, I think for me it was um I've never found it I've always been into it but I've never found that I was completely unnatural right. like I struggled with a lot of things you know I would never I wouldn't say that yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't know whether to accurately say, like, what defines whether somebody's a natural. Mm-hmm. Um, is it just that they've been doing it for, before they can even remember what they were doing? Like, if you play piano since you were four years old, yeah. you don't really have any conscious idea of kind of what you're doing. You're just, you know, your mum tells you you've got a piano lesson every week and you just do it. And then by the time you get to 10 or 11 or yeah. 12, you're probably really good because yeah. she's made you made you practice you know i mean mj cole always tells a story about how his mum wouldn't let him go out and play skateboard until he'd done his you know two hours of practice every day and now he's like you know i mean he's drilled into you know royal college of music yeah of course like one of the best you know musicians in in the in the country so yeah so i think you know you would say that somebody like that's a natural but he's been doing it since he was four years old yeah there's obviously an element of 
being sort of coerced as well. Like your yeah. parents, something that when you're four, you don't know what's best for you, and they do. Yeah, yeah. And so they make they, you have to make the kids yeah. do things sometimes. So you could even, from a philosophical perspective, say, well, it's not natural then because you made him do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be natural if he just decided to get on the piano every day without any yeah. input from you. But we, but that's probably quite rare that that yeah. happens. Yeah. So you know, so so yeah, I don't know if I'm a natural at anything really. I've just kind of persevered basically and haven't given up and everything i think in this business especially is an, is an endurance test yeah the people that stick in it for the longest tend to do the best um, and yeah. i don't think that's a coincidence so i uh, i have a, an episode in in this in this series um uh, that sort of you know talks about this and, and i and i and I've, I've got this kind of general thing that pretty much most people in the music industry are enthusiasts Right, I mean that—that's that's pretty much. You've got to be an enthusiast, otherwise you kind of come and then you leave again, right? Because it—it's just—it's e- it either grabs you or it doesn't, and uh, and certainly, you know, uh, from for myself and you, it's uh, it is the way it is. Um, okay, so we talked about you as a, a DJ, a producer, and a recording artist. Um, songwriter is, I guess, implicit in some of this. Um, but you're also your own manager. Um, is that right? I'd, you, yeah, you, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah, like your own artist manager. I, I, you, you'll see where I'm going with this in a minute. Um, your your own record label, Grand Plans, yeah, um, and night. What was it? The sample. Nightlife. Nightlife. Nightlife yeah. Um, booking agent. I think you do some of that yourself, if not. Kelly. All. Kelly, my wife, does a, quite a few of the emails and stuff that come in. Yeah. Um. You know, we obviously consult on it, but yeah, she sort of takes part of that admin job away. Hey, these things need replying to, and so yeah. she'll sort of deal with that so that I can. Um, do more creative stuff but yeah and I've got an agent in Australia but yeah um, but yeah for the most part it's it's all done by me but I, I guess where, where I'm going with this is you know going back to the subjects of this this uh, podcast artist as an entrepreneur they're, they're having to be you know more more and more commonly fulfilling the roles that tr- were traditionally done by other people in the music industry right. right you know these are very specific jobs you know if you have a manager that is what they are they're not also your mix engineer necessarily right you know right. they are your artist uh, and so, I mean, and publishing, uh, do you do you kind of outsource that, or do you try? And I have a, a, I have a, I do, I tend to do single song assignments. Yeah. Um, I do Black Rock Publishing look after the label. Um, I know Mark Lawrence pretty well, and him and his wife are nice, and they kind of run it as a joint company. Um, they're from Brighton. Well, they used, to, well, I think they they used to live in Brighton at least. They've moved to to Spain or one of the Spanish islands. Everyone now, seems to be going to Spain. Yeah, they love it. it. They yeah. love it over there. It's great. But you know, yeah. So they do they do the um, they do the label. So anything that comes out on Grand Plans automatically goes to them. Mm-hmm. But anything else that I do can be assigned to anybody. So if I don't have any pub, any publishing for it, I can just give it to them and say do you guys want to administrate this yeah whereas if somebody comes along like a defected and says can we take the publishing then it's then it's available yeah and it works well for me to do that i don't think in this day and age it's worth you having a publishing deal unless it's a whopping great big advance unless you're getting (laughs) in advance unless you're getting some money up front and they're actually doing something and perhaps even supporting you like create you know of course if if there's some if there's some if there's a structure around it where it's like well look you know, where I'm also your manager and this and that and the other, and we also do some publishing, but we've got contacts to get syncs and you know do all this kind of stuff. Then you might want to consider doing that. Yeah. But if you're somebody like me, who for the most part is kind of freelance, doing you know different projects here and there, you kind of want the freedom to be able to say, well, actually, you know, Ministry want this record, and it kind of makes more sense for me to give them the publishing on these two tracks, yeah. and then over here you know these two tracks can go to this label and um 
So I think it makes more sense to do it that way. Yeah. But but ultimately, these are still business decisions that you are still making yourself. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, one of the other things that I, you know, I know that you do do is you, you are kind of your own marketing department. Again, sort of one of those roles that, you know, if you were signed to, uh, you know, a major label for a, you know, five album deal or something, you're a very traditional kind of style. You probably wouldn't even be thinking about this stuff as much, right? Because you know you would just assume that there are all these people taking care of it, and they would come to you with ideas. And right. Where you know, but you know, you're running your own socials. You've got your own podcast. Um, I mean, you presumably running your own mailing list that's on your website. Yep. Right. You know, so that these are again, these are things that otherwise people would have to do. But you know, you as the artist, you know, kind of to some of the stuff you were talking about earlier, you just found that you've. It's just either cheaper to do it yourself rather than employ someone to do it, right? And, you know, and it's... Uh, so, yeah, so I, I I mean, do you find yourself, like, get, thinking like thinking about, right, how else do I market these things? Like, do, are you running sort of paid ads and, and sort of, you know, working for, with SEO? For and... some things, yeah. <clears throat> we'll, we'll do paid ads for the label. Um, we'll do kind of like a, just a short Instagram stories video or something like that. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that it. Di- I think probably it dilutes the music. Is probably the takeaway from it all. Yeah, um, that doesn't mean it. It's not. Doesn't you know? It has to be done, but it does mean that you don't have to. You you don't have as much time to spend on creative things, um, or putting as much time into something as you would like, or even just having that that period of time where you like just think about that you don't have to create anything yeah. because that's kind of like what Erica Badu calls like your downloading period. Like she, you know, she doesn't believe in writer's block. She believes in like a downloading period. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's like this, this idea of taking time yeah. to absorb things that right. are going on. And then at that point you'll be able to then either you'll be ready to create again, or you're feeling something, you're going through something, mm-hmm. you're downloading that you're absorbing it. Mm-hmm. And then at, then you can get to a point where you can actually start to write that down and put it into words if you know you're a songwriter like her um, or artist like her or it might be you're just sometimes you're just absorbing you're taking stuff in and there's almost there's less chance now for that to happen because, because you're distracted by because you you yeah. what what it, it's like if you're on Instagram and you're looking at other people's content um, and you're looking at other people's life and it's all presented in a particular way that makes them look as if they're doing better than ever, yep. doing more than ever. Yep. You feel pressure because you're like, I, ha- I, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm yeah. sitting here yeah, yeah, yeah. in bed. You know, <laughs> I just woke up, or I and I should be, I should be out. I should, you know, and I, I jump up. I have to up. say that there's something that, that I I find almost evil about some of those blog posts that where people are like yeah you need to be up at 5 a.m every day and go for a run and do some meditation and do a bit of yoga and you know have a, it's like what, what before ha, normal life come yeah. on like that's not how that works i think um like to go back to your point about how you know people are are i think it, it's rare that somebody is is equally uh, excellent at lots of different things you may be excellent at two things and then kind of good or okay or decent at a couple of a few other things. But if you have like a manager who kind of, you know, it isn't just, it isn't just about their skill set, although that's important. It's also about their, the balance and the view and the 
outside perspective uh, and that applies to management that applies to music making uh and anything creative really and now we're in a position where you can release a piece of music into the world before one other person's heard it yeah you never used to be able to do that you used to have your manager let's say then there would be you know a record label a and r probably two or three people would yeah. make that decision then you would have a distributor so even just on an independent level if you had a label and you wanted to put a piece of music out the artist would come to you you the label say yes the distributor says no this is rubbish yeah i, I can't sell this yeah no one's going to take it. Yeah. Then, so then, then they do agree to. Then you find something they do agree to distribute. Then the record shops have to take it. Yeah. Right. You got to do the sales job. Then yeah. you got to do the sales job. You're at least playing something down the phone. Yeah. That's the way it used to be done. You would play records I, I, down the phone. So now, you, <laughs> not only does your record have to be great, but it also has to translate across the phone. Yeah. In 1997, yep, we'll take 20 of those or yeah. whatever. So there was all these kind of like different quality control measures in place. Mm -hmm. And now that's completely gone. Anyone. Right. And so you don't have this perspective. You can get like very close to your own music and you're, well, you are by definition very close to it. And it's impossible to hear certain things. I'm sitting in a certain room that's been treated a certain way. And I probably make the same quote <coughs> mistakes when I'm mixing. You know, there's probably a certain frequency that's like a little bit too high or a little bit too muddy. Right, right. I have somebody that I work with that does all my mastering. Right. They know what this space is they've been here yeah they talk to me about stuff all the time yeah, yeah. so they can actually correct anything that i'm doing right yeah. whereas people if i was mixing and mastering in here have they got a, a scott diaz preset on their, on their <laughs> not desk, quite yeah. <laughs> yeah but you know but it's their, their head is the preset sure. i guess because yeah, yeah. they know like okay well it's always a little bit maybe you know there's a little bit too muddy here and sure. needs a little bit of brightening up here because of what your room's doing or yeah, the way yeah. your ears are and yeah, yeah, yeah. so if you have somebody that you have that relationship with but again that's somebody else that's in the quality control yeah department essentially yeah. for you and it's like you're, part and if you're of your using team a, a lander or something like that you're not going to get exactly that. and you're yeah. doing it in the same room so yeah. any mistakes that you're making are not going to be exposed because you're using the same room yeah so there's all of these kind of things and what it means is that the, the creativity gets diluted ultimately because you don't have that you don't have as long to work on music as you as you want to yeah because everything's about visibility and constantly pushing stuff out um, to remain visible. Yeah, actually, I mean, just on that that subject, I, I saw uh, uh, something. Uh, Apple um, did a, um, a small documentary, and it was uh, an interview with Jimmy Iovine and, and Dr. Dre. And, and right right at the end, they were talking about hip hop in particular, and, and the sort of the, the, you know they they felt that there was a quantity over quality at the moment. Right. Um, and then Jimmy Iovine sort of ended it with a kind of you know how about making something that's going to last like in terms of like timeless music as opposed to just kind of just to your point just kind of keep rushing stuff out i mean it's, it's very hard isn't it because of things like instagram to, to something you said earlier this idea of you're watching the world around you and it seems to be moving at such a quick pace and you have to kind of keep contributing keep like being part of it I mean, yeah. it's, it's an awful pressure really it's the way that the way that because of the way the retailers turn over you know the yeah. the beat ports, yeah. the track sources, the iTunes. Even you're there for a week and then you're gone. Yeah. Um, it is a little bit different in the in the hip hop R and B world. Maybe and maybe in that world it's slightly different because the there isn't really the idea of going out and doing DJ gigs. Yeah. There's performances and concerts, but yeah, yeah. there's not the same concept around gigs. And the reality is, you know, the let, let's just be honest about it. The reality is, if you're not if you're not making if you're not DJing every single week. You're struggling to make a living. Yeah. Um, you're, str you're, str you're struggling to make a living. You, yeah. Because you can't make a living out of putting music out unless you're putting out 
50 or 60 or 70 tracks a year yeah. and and you manage to make 500 quid or a thousand pound out of every single track yeah so um i'm just wondering if i should just go and tell yeah, them to no, turn it down a bit yeah. okay no worries well, it's okay so I'll, I'll just keep uh keep going we yeah, uh, there's a little bit of noise outside the studio so scott's just going to go and correct that particular mistake um so um obviously this this uh this episode has sort of gone down the the route of um uh, you know, really diving into the the world around uh, an artist and kind of how they're, uh, you know, spending their time and living their lives. And really, this is what I wanted to get out of this episode, which is to sort of try and understand, you know, some of those those distractions that that are creeping into. Sorry about what, that. That should always be a creative process. That's all right, Scott. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, um, doing that. Yeah. So yeah, the the problem is that, you know, I think it does dilute the music because you you end up with all of these other things to do. You can't spend as much time focus on the actual artistic element or making something as good as it could possibly be because you're now just in a well it's good enough and let's get it out and you know and you are kind of stuck in this cycle of um if you're not because because ultimately there's so much music coming out as you've alluded to even just on i think even on track source there's about two thousand tracks a week and on beatport it's about twenty thousand a week yeah now so to be so what you're trying to do is you're basically trying to be in the top four or five percent of those every week and i'm lucky that i pretty much am yeah but even so that doesn't trans you know then then you start to have to crack the next part of the code which is how do i turn that and leverage that into actual into gigs into actual money it's not enough to just be in the top 10 of something you have to have all the other stuff going on around it for people to actually want to buy into you as an artist then you start getting into this whole image over music mm-hmm. which is now a big part of it too yeah you get people getting you know booked because they pa- basically are Paris, like the Paris center Hilton of attention <laughs> yeah so and, and but even within even within house music there's now an element of like people that don't make their own stuff but they basically trade on their personality yeah, right? Right, right, right and they they get booked because that's that's what resonates we're kind of an image obsessed celebrity obsessed culture yeah um at the moment and that seems to resonate with people so you know that's what they buy into and and of course there's an there's an age thing maybe going on i'm 37 now lots of people that go out 18 19 20 21 i cared about different things when i was that age that's i funny. looked at different yeah. things um you know so i have to accept that things move and you have to move with them yeah but yeah, the the reality is there's so much music being released, and there just isn't. Um, there's so much music being released, and there just isn't enough. There's never going to be enough clubs or gigs yeah. to facilitate everybody. So, um, what do you do? You yeah. have to do other things. You have to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, as I say, like that. You know, almost every every time you're you're explaining kind of part of your day to day, your your life, your flipping between being that creative to then having to be having to be you know that entrepreneur that business person that um you know and I, I have a, a question about about this in a second but so just just a couple of things before i get to that um uh so i mean do you so these are kind of two questions but in one do you enjoy being the mastery of your own destiny or would you like to have a larger team kind of running around and doing some of these things because it is interrupting that creative process? It's an interesting question because someone once said to me they don't think I'd be easy to manage. 
My, really? Yeah, my friend who's an agent, he's actually an agent who looks after a lot of techno artists. And he, I think he said, I think it was more just the fact that because I've got very specific ideas and I've already got a lot of stuff right, going on, right, right, right. it would be hard for me to have somebody that's like, okay, look, you know, th this is what you, this is where you need to go. Yeah. Because I do in, enjoy kind of musically being quite free mm -hmm. and being like, oh, I'm going to make Garage today or I'm going to do this today or I'm right. going to work on that today or, you know, whatever, it, whatever the case may be. So I like being the master of my own destiny in that sense. But I, I think, you know, you can benefit from having somebody who sort of believes in what you're doing and actually says to you, look, this is where my expertise are. This is where I can get you involved. Yeah. This is what I can do for you. And th yeah. this is what when I hear your stuff, this is what I hear. And this is where I see you. Yeah. Let me work on that and let's see where we go with it. Mm -hmm. um, and that confidence is good to have when you've got somebody that's like, OK, they've actually got a vision for me. They're seeing something that I don't can't actually see. And if you believe in that person and you like them and you've got, you know, good feeling, good relationship with them, then that's can be a really positive thing. Um, because there is an element of within being the master of your own destiny <clears throat> that you end up just doing everything because yeah. you can. Yeah. Whereas if somebody's like, well, if you just focused here yeah. and you stop doing this as though as much as you enjoy it, if you just stop doing this bit and do more of this stuff over here, you would actually see this would this would more, help more you tenfold yeah, yeah right. because i i can do this this right, and right, this right, will right, get right. you involved with that person or whatever yeah so having that focus and that discipline from somebody else to say this is where i see you fitting in what do you think yeah um can be good yeah so there's there's an element of that but also yeah i mean there's there's management there's agents you know yeah. what it all boils down to basically is if you want to make money as an electronic music artist for the most part let me rephrase that. If you want to make money as a as a producer, mm -hmm. um, it has to be generally as a DJ producer, unless you are working in a very specific world where you know you're working with the likes of the Sam Smiths or the pop artists, or right. you know, right, right, right. Um, because that because you can make money just writing songs and being a producer in that world. Doing electronic stuff and dance stuff really, you have to supplement it by being a DJ. The, the, the <coughs> margins are just too small yeah, yeah. You, you can't make enough music to yeah. you know unless you get really lucky and have a sync or something like that or two in a year you might make you know 80 100,000 but you'd have to make, basically make 50 records and have a bunch of them do well so <coughs> the agent is the answer um, but you already have to have a lot of stuff going on to, to have an agent take you on so yeah. it's sort of related to all of this um, and you've touched on it a little bit um this idea of like creative block and and there's two things to me for, for for the artist as the entrepreneur one there's this sort of you know the, the creative the songwriting the producing like you might end up with creative block there but also you're because you're running and planning your own campaigns like like you've got a new record or you know to, you said earlier that you don't just do house and garage you, you do some other styles of music thinking about how creatively can i socialize this you know this new idea this i mean even grand plans is a sort of slight departure from you know what you're typically known for right yeah um so do, do you ever do you run into that or are you quite well at managing that like do you have your download period that you mentioned earlier yes and no i think um i think the most dangerous thing that we you that sort of that we have now is basically overwhelm you know right um we're overwhelmed with information all the time in the digital world because we're constantly connected to, uh, to, to, to the world through our phones and, and whatnot. Um, and because there's this kind of pressure to do everything, um, 
you can end up sort of being overwhelmed by it and sort of doing nothing um, because you think there's so many, so many things I have to get through here um, in terms of, you know, plan, like, for example, doing a grand plans release. There's a whole bunch of stuff that has to happen, mastering artwork, uh, the promo blurb, yeah. uh, PR, um, whether you do that yourself or pay somebody else, we've always paid other people to do stuff, getting little stickers and bits of merchandise and everything done. Uh, having a mailing list um you know then the release comes out how are you talking about the release what what assets and content have you got to actually showcase that release who's yeah. playing it that becomes a new thing you can then talk about oh so and so played it at this festival great then you know have you got a clip of it okay then you yeah, share yeah, that yeah. and it's just kind of an ongoing becomes a living thing yeah. that every day you have to dedicate some time to for at least two or three weeks right. and then of course the bigger and be better companies the real professional labels have got this kind of evergreen stuff like right we'll put that in for three months later and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it again later on who remembers when so and so released this album great you know and then you're sort right, of in this cycle right. again and that's the way you really have to do it yeah. if you really want to be taken seriously as a business in that in that sense if, whether it's a label or whatever it is but so I try to but you know my my days are pretty full to be honest um, I sort of I'm always pretty much if I'm not with my wife which I haven't been for the last 19 months because she's been living in, in America and I've been back over here in Brighton but um, I'm basically working all the time yeah. I'm working all the time yeah, yeah. If from the moment I wake up there's some even if it's just doing a post on Instagram or creating a messing around with a video and making something to post the next day. I'm always doing something. Yeah. Um, but, but then I've kind of always been like that. Even before I had a mobile phone, I was always sort of doing something like I always say to people, if they ask for advice, I would say, if you want to make music, learn, learn to play music. That's yeah. the first thing which I always say, even though people go, Oh, it doesn't matter this much these days. I think it's more important than ever. Um, and I always say, and every single day you have to do at least one thing that your future kind of DJ producer career self will thank you for, right. whether that's just making a piece of content, whether that's going to a party to make a, a contact, whether that's, you know, building a relationship with somebody, a friendship, going supporting your community that you want to be involved in, whether that's house, garage, tech house, techno, whatever it is, um, and so I've kind of tried to live by that ethos, basically. Every yeah. single day, do something positive for your career if that's what you want it to be. Because like I said earlier, the people that do it for the longest are generally the ones that do the best. Yeah. And you have to stick in it and be able to stick in it. And you're not going to do that by being lazy, basically. Do you ever feel like you need to just not do anything? <clears throat> like sit on a beach and read a book? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to, but I'm not yet in a position where I don't, you know... I don't think I haven't got enough sort of stuff going. I've got I've got lots of things going on around me, but I'm not in a position either financially uh, and also uh, in terms of having sort of like you talk about having a team of people around yeah. you. Whereas, you know, if I if I had somebody else who was I don't know, let's say I had somebody that was managing me and they were doing all my social media, yeah. right? Like a, like a label would do yeah. for a sort of more you know traditional art, artist style. Um, they might say, right, look, well, now this is your calendar for the next month. We've yeah. basically put all these things in for you. And, and here about you've got a week and... where you can just kind of take yourself away. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. but you're still visible online. You're still, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I made a post recently about, I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't posted anything online and I've been really busy, but yeah. I'm just in, I've just been in this mode recently where I'm just like, it's tiring for me to think about how I can present myself on social media. <laughs> 
this right. is this is fine like talking is easy because yeah, sure. i've got so many ideas and experiences and thoughts around everything and this is the kind of discussion me and you would have anyway yeah true. right so you know so from that perspective it doesn't really use much energy yeah but to be like well i've got to put this into a you know if i had to create a piece of content for something or i've got to think about how i talk about this i just want to i just want to be creative right now mm-hmm. i want to just make music i want to not be distracted i've got a lot going on personally with my wife coming over and moving and this is just i'm trying to like sort of you know not do any of that stuff but then also i'm cognizant of the fact that you know, you're sort of you get this like oh, I don't want people to forget what I'm doing. You know, yeah, right. So right, I put right. this, I put a thing up saying, you know, is, hey, is, is I've nag- been, I've it, been quite, oh yeah, it's a nagging thing, yeah, constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will literally, I'll look on Instagram and be like, oh, I only oh. made two posts this month. <laughs> I made two posts this month, and I'll reshare things other people do on on Instagram Just stories. Just to and stay kind of in, yeah. The but even I, that doesn't uh, feel good. like it's enough because yeah, yeah. there's people now that are like content marketing is the way. Yeah, like that's how you establish yourself as an authority. And, and give yourself credibility in that market. You build a community. You don't sell to people. They buy from you. In you know, I don't even mean that in a like product, like you're going to buy this from me. I just mean in terms of what they think of you, they, their respect for you, the fact that they see you as an authority or somebody with credibility in that space, whether that's sound design, yeah. playing jazz piano, as a DJ, a selector, uh, you know, a digger of great music. I follow this. I follow this person because they're always putting up all this rare house and garage vinyl. Yeah, yeah. They're a credibility, and sorry, they're an authority in their marketplace. They may not be doing it in a conscious way, but by what they're doing, they are doing that. Yeah, yeah. You know, somebody's like, I want to learn how to make a kick drum, so I follow Scott. You know, sure. right? And then, then so you kind of build up this thing over time. So that's the way you have to do it, but you have to be absolutely relentless with it. You know, yeah. people would say that you should be making four, five, six, seven, eight pieces of content a day and putting them across all the platforms. Yeah, it's um, crazy. There like, are some companies that they generate a hundred pieces of content a day. Wow. But that's through breaking it down into like, so you're a podcast. Yeah. Then you could break this down into Instagram. Yeah. snippets right yeah, yeah, yeah. then you could then you can put that on soundcloud too then you can put <clears throat> put it on linkedin that all counts as a separate piece of content um but yeah so that, I, yeah i mean the, the the label that i i, I work with um we have a, a very large given the size of the company a very large digital marketing team and i know from you know artists that i've signed to the label when it comes to release day there's this huge checklist of things and it's, you know there's all this kind of social skins that have got to be created you've got like the the edits from the the, the video that you've done for the different obviously different platforms different fo- and there, there's like then a series of them that comes out and yep. there's a kind of calendar like post this then post that then post that, that yep. one later on and it yeah it is pretty relentless but of course that's great for those artists because they got a team of people doing it but right. you're having to do this yourself yeah that, i mean i can't even quite imagine how that works really i think the quite, funny so. thing is as well that what I'm, what I'm starting to see. I was doing a podcast for a while. I was doing a, the, the, uh, like a, not, not a talk podcast, but just a mix podcast, radio show type thing, and it was taking up quite a lot of my time. It was once a month. Right? It was once a month, yeah. and I was also doing the other side mixes, which are kind of like a sort of curated set of mixes based around a particular theme. And I basically take time to put them together. I actually buy records for it. So if it's a, if right. it's a, wow. so when I did the, when I did the filter disco one. I, I had a bunch of the Roulet stuff and a bunch of the old French house stuff, but yeah. there was a couple of other things I didn't have and I wanted to put them in the mix. So I bought the, the tracks, wow. I ripped them from vinyl, I put them in the playlist, I curate it all. Yeah. I've never played the tracks together before. It's all new. So I have to figure out on the fly how it's all going to work. Course, yeah. 
Um, then I have to put that up and talk about it. And I, the idea was I was going to kind of do that in between doing the podcast. So I was yeah. going to do basically a mix every two weeks. And then you get asked to do guest mixes. Yeah. Um, so and in the end, I just stopped doing the radio show because I just thought the amount of time I'm going to probably start it up again, but I'll, I won't do it as on a monthly. I'll just do it by episode one, two, three. Yeah. That means I can do them as frequently or as infrequently as I want because people are not relying on me each month. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I've taken exactly the same approach with this podcast. It's I the best way I, to I, do I, it. I didn't know how how like easy or hard it was going to be, so I, I, at no point have I said, there is going to be a new episode every single week. Right. I mean, it's the best way yeah, of doing it. Yeah. And so, especially when you're basically giving this content away for free, it's all completely for free. Of course, yeah. So, yeah. you know, but your time goes into it. Um, and so to, to actually, yeah, so I, essentially I stopped doing that. And I thought to myself, I'm still, I'm still doing the other side mixes. The next one's going to be a gospel, like a gospel grooves one. Oh, cool. So I'm kind of finishing putting that together and then I'll mix that at some point in the next week or so, next week yeah. and a bit. But um, the idea is that, you know, I'm kind of looking at things now and thinking for all of the social media that you do, for all of the DJ mixes, for all of the like, you know, trying to make funny content and putting silly videos up and memes and all this kind of stuff, which is cool and is important and is funny and we all like consuming, nothing will will propel you anywhere near as quickly as just making a really good record. Mm -hmm. That's really what it boils down to. Yeah. So you can have all the social media presence, you can do all this stuff and you can you can you know and you can build it up so incrementally and it's almost painful to do it over yeah. over or you can just make a track and, and put that out. That track goes number one on Beatport or top 10 on Beatport, it will do exponentially more for you mm -hmm. um, in a short space of time than you trying to slowly, slowly, catchy monkey, build up your socials. Great. It's great to do it that way. But it's also like if you just put that extra time into making music, yeah. this is why the creativity is the name of the game. Just making stuff and putting it out in the world. Like, there comes a point where you just have to stop, say, I'm going to stop posting on social media if it means I don't, I only make two posts this month, but I managed to finish ten records. Yeah, that is going to be infinitely better for you than being on social media every day. As much as you, uh, you know, might think that it's not in the long term having that music out in the world and all of the other stuff that happens because you've got music out, all the people that reach out to you, all the people that are listening to it, all the mm. fat new fans mm. you're gaining because it's on Spotify or YouTube. Because if you don't finish a track, you can't do jack shit with it. Yeah, yeah. you know. If you don't finish I'm gonna music... I'm going to have to turn the explicit flag on this now. Sorry. <laughs> You're the first. You I've, kept, I've kept it really? clean up until this point, so there you go. Um, yeah, I, you know... There's only once, you'll be right. It, it's very good, yeah, and, and quite far into it, so hopefully nobody will uh, spot it. Um, uh, so this, yeah, this thing you're, you're talking about there of, like, the, the kind of put the energy into putting the music out, because um, there is that other aspect of kind of modern distribution and retail if we want to call it that where if you haven't had a track out for a while and you know i've i've um uh, over the last half a decade or so worked with artists that were uh, bigger before streaming so they were kind of mm -hmm. you know at their prominence during say download era or even before that cd era or vinyl or whatever um and so of course there's the algorithmic aspect that's causing them problems when they're coming back to like they're, they're putting new music on the platform because the way that all of those those things work where you've got say a large follower base but then you haven't got new music out so people aren't kind of you're not really you're not either growing that follower base right so it's kind of flat lines 
um, and your streams aren't going up and they're probably fairly low and then there's also the ratio right if you've got large followers but not very many streams when you then next put your new bit of music out the algorithms basically kind of ignore you because they're like right. this person's done whereas actually they're like a bona fide celebrity right but they you know and they've they've existed in social media on, on the tv and on radio and whatever else right um but when they put that new music out but they haven't done for half a decade it kind of doesn't have the same impact so perhaps also there's so not only like just to, 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 you know, to focus on making that music, there are now these days other reasons why you should probably think more about putting that, those records out. Right? Yeah. Um, I'm sure I know you don't run into that problem. It's, but, it's uh, a shame because it is not like with grand plans. We try to do more feature releases, right? You know, everything has custom artwork. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all done specifically that for that release. Um, I tried to do three or four tracks with every release because it, then it, it ties it together. It's a theme. There's, you know, there's a kind of story to it, whereas it is almost like I would be better off just putting those tracks out one by one. I'm yeah. probably doing myself a disservice because I'm paying more money yeah. out in one go. Yeah. So, for example, I just I just recently did a um, I just recently did a seven track EP. It was mm. almost a mini album, and the kind of boring reason was that basically I, I wanted to have it appear as an album in Spotify, yeah. and seven tracks is what I needed. So I was like, well, I might as well just do it as seven tracks because I had another album which I actually mixed a compilation. It was it wasn't even an artist album, and that was appearing as my album, uh, right. and it's nothing. It wasn't. I just mixed it. It was yeah. a various artists. Right, right. So I was like, everybody's seeing this six year old, seven year old thing. So and I want people to see something new. So I basically made it that. But I ended up having to pay more money to promote it because it was an album, more money to master it, yeah. and so on and so forth. Whereas if I just, and and obviously the trickle that the the way the money comes back is it takes you two, three, four months. T takes you four months from yeah. the date you actually <clears throat> date you actually send that music off for mastering or for release. Sorry, to upload for release to the to the moment you actually get any royalties. It's usually four months. Yeah. So unless you're consistently in a cycle of putting stuff out, when you're in the cycle of getting paid, you keep yeah. getting paid. But if you're doing these bigger releases, you're not putting one out every month. You're not yeah. putting seven tracks out on a label every month that are all by you. Um, so I would be better off going, it's just a single release, just a single release, just a single release. You know? Yeah, I mean, because we, we, we get, I, I come across this question all the time where you know people are going, should we put out track, track, track? And then into say album or EP, or should we have the body of work out there and then kind of promote that and maybe pull out singles after that, right? Because yeah. there's that there's that sort of dichotomy of, well, you it's the engagement economy and therefore you want to continue to engage people and of course it gives you content, right, to which with which to promote and you know going back to things what you to talk about, yeah, yeah, what you were saying earlier about it's not just the music that goes out there. You can then you know create bits of engaging uh, content around based on that original recording to then. Talk talk about on social media have all the different posts um you know but also there's the, the other problem and kind of going into this cash flow thing that you were sort of alluding to earlier i know although in in dance music you've still got a heavy download component to your your revenue matrix mm -hmm. whereas pretty much any other genre doesn't right, right? you know because it's because you don't it's not you don't need all, ownership it's just access yeah, yeah. People, whereas DJs streaming, need ownership. Streaming is now the you know the accepted way of consuming music, and yeah. so why would you bother with buying a download? Right. There's almost no reason to do that these yeah. days, um, because it's ultimately the same device that you'd be using. There's no difference there, right? So, you know, um, 
but uh, yeah, so I've totally forgotten where I was going with this question. But cash flow, I, ca- cash flow. Thank you, very good. <laughs> I, I think you should interview me. <laughs> Do you know I, the first interview I did was with a journalist, like a professional interviewer. Well, I, I just thought as I sort of planned to do that, I thought that's a silly idea, isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, you know, I, I and and you know, because obviously what people are kind of concerned with is you know that fan engagement, and so if there is a body of work out there, then it gives somebody more to get into. Right. And of course, from a revenue point of view, there's more music out there with which to consume and therefore create revenue from. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, you kind of lost your ability to continually engage them over a longer period of time. Right. Right. Um, You know, whereas I guess like with with this with this uh, uh, seven track um, project that you were talking about, you could have perhaps got on the, the revenue you know sort of stream earlier right you could have you know put a few singles out brought a bit of that money back in as yeah. you were preparing for the whole project to go out right? yeah. yeah but um i guess the answer is you know again it's just about it's that it's that difficult conundrum of trying to create more but also doing it where doing it to a level where the, the quality is ridiculously high i mean there's a reason why there's a reason why traditionally the cycle has always been what it's been yeah there's a reason why a radio edit is three minutes long. Yeah. There's yeah, a reason yeah. why people only used to put out albums every three or four years. Yeah. That's the downloading period, mm-hmm. right? Like, th- that's the period in between of I'm completely, like, albumed out right now. You know, Tom Petty or Stevie Wonder or Michael Jackson makes up, you know, right, record 40 or 50 or 100 tracks for an album. You whittle it down to the best 10 or 15. Then you tour the album. You know, then you have a six months off or a year off. Then yeah. you get back in the studio and you start writing another album. Yeah, and that was the way it worked. Um, and you know, now it's it's changed. It's changed for the better in some ways. It's fantastic that you can just put music out, and you know, Drake or someone will just put an album up, and it will just go up at midnight, and that's it. And then that, that then he's getting he's getting millions of streams around the world the very next day. Yeah, it's amazing that you can do that. Um, you can reach people you can put stuff on Bandcamp you can have your own late I can put stuff up on TrackSource and reach that community of DJs in a week or two Um, it's fantastic but it does mean that yeah you don't have this time of it is sort of like turn and burn more quickly don't get to necessarily do as many artistic things as you would like to do Um, and uh, yeah and then and then there's there's so many other parts to it unfortunately there's so cracking the code is, is you know there's something it isn't just about it, and then once you do once you get that f- far once you get to a point where you're making great music even that still isn't enough yeah there's still other components to it yeah. of which i don't know all of them yeah yeah but well, I, don't, I don't think anyone there's does. something <laughs> about why is it that this person resonates yeah. with this group of people and this person doesn't yeah. even though their music's better they made a lot more stuff. They've also been affiliated with the same labels, let's say. Yeah. So they're in the same world, so but they're why just is that not, not working. Yeah, yeah, they're just not taking yeah, off. Yeah. They're just not listening. They're just not. And know, I so and I can assure you, you're not the only one sort of puzzling that conundrum. And you know, companies spend a lot of time and money, and of course, data these days. You know, we've got a lot of access to that. Um, but you know, even that can't tell you the, the the whole story because, in fact, that can confuse you even more because right. you're looking at it going, but they're the same numbers. Why is one resonating from a sales point of view than, and the other one isn't? Yeah, you've got the same number of followers. They're posting the same amount of content. Why is one not not with the other? Um, so, and I hope for for listeners at home that, that what's obvious with all of this conversation is is this kind of continual sort of 
as an artist being dragged back into the business side of it and so you're having to constantly be conscious of of all the sort of moving parts of of the industry that you as an artist are part of um, and it's very it's clearly complex and, and can be quite difficult um so uh I've got a question here, which I'm just going to read verbatim because I can't remember exactly why I wrote it. But um, so business leaders are always monitoring what's working and not working in their business. It, do, you, do you think that that's true as a, an artist entrepreneur? I guess we've kind of covered this question a little bit. I guess, yeah, I guess it is true. Yeah. On a kind of an ad hoc <laughs> basis, you're sort of just you're just you're, you're just using your instinct, aren't you? Yeah. Sort of like, well, that didn't really work out, so I probably won't do that again. Sort of that, mi- micro pivots. If you yeah, want to that is a business balance. decision, isn't it? It's yeah. just that I didn't have a meeting with somebody and say, well, you know, this EP didn't sell that well or this didn't do that well. Um, but you are making those decisions on a kind of micro level every day. Yeah. You're basically just deciding, well, I won't use that PR company again or I won't, I'll use somebody else for mastering or yeah. I liked the artwork or, you know, yeah, whatever. Right. All those kind of little decisions. Sometimes there's a feeling, right, as well, right, you know, was that mastering engineer the right person for me? Did it? Did he understand when I was talking to him or her? Um, yeah, good. Um, all right, so uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask you this. It's such an awkward question. Any top tips for budding artists out there? I mean, you sort of you were sort of talking about you know uh, how how difficult some of this stuff is. You know, is this right for everybody to? Kind no, of, it's not right for everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, would they be better kind of like really just trying to track down that, um, you know, tr- more traditional route where go and get the record deal so you've got the teams around Potentially. You. It depends on what in what world they are making music sure. or creating because the model is so is different for different genres. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're a band, there's lots of things you can do yourself um, and you've got the support of of other people. Yeah. within your band for example so things like studio costs you can share them things like you know you've basically got four or five people um so you already have a team right that team just happens to be people you're in a band with um so i've always felt that that could be quite handy because you might have one person that is you know quite a good producer they maybe could produce the album let's say you might have somebody who is great at graphic design and, and art concepts and vision you know that has a vision for it that's great you might have somebody in the band who's quite social media savvy yeah so you kind of all have your little roles and you sort of pick up the slack whereas if you're just one producer or one artist um you kind of have to do all of that yourself so that works well potentially in that situation but um it's different for everybody i think that i was talking to my wife the the because she's going to basically be coming and helping me right full time essentially right, right, right. Cool. um and building up the new you know the nightlife audio and working on that predominantly but also helping me with bookings and business development and all yeah. these other opportunities that are potentially out there for me or are out there for me but i can't capitalize on them because i don't have the time to create enough things yeah. to to meet all of them because yeah. i have to do all the other stuff yeah so if she takes some of that responsibility away uh, and does it to a level where that it's you know good and actually increases and enhances what i'm doing then it's beneficial but to go back to your question i was talking to her about that it's not for everybody mm. you know being self-employed is is kind of testing and she is someone that comes from the traditional corporate world 
where she worked very hard for many years earn a good salary company car all the rest of it yeah, yeah. and now she's going to this world where it's like and well, now you have to think about your own cash flow and you've got to think about you're paying out for this and that and you know you've got a studio to run and you're doing all this stuff beginning you know you need to buy equipment uh, if you need to do a particular thing on your computer breaks yeah. you know she says to me you spent all the, you know all this money on a computer i said <laughs> yeah but it's the cost it's the cost yeah. of doing business 100%. i said if i was if i was driving a refrigerated van driving around sandwiches to people and I spent £10,000 on a van, you wouldn't say anything to me yeah, about yeah. it because you'd be like, well, you're in that van every day driving around earning well, money. And that's what I do with, with my laptop or yeah. with my equipment I mean, or whatever. It, in the short term, it might be cheaper to go to a studio, but certainly not in the long term. Absolutely. When you yeah. amortise that cost every day over four years, which is, yeah. and I'm a heavy user of most of my equipment, especially my laptop, which is the hub of everything, yeah. um, it really isn't that expensive at all. But of course, yeah. it's a lot for some, when you work for a company that gives you a laptop to, for, for work and gives you a company car and, you know, the idea of kind of taking all of that risk and expense on yourself yeah. seems a, a bit silly, I guess. But that's kind of the, that's the cost of doing business. So yeah. no, it's not for everybody. You do have to be, I would say if somebody's working right now and they would like to go full time and do music, you, you sort of have to, um, you have to basically do it, do both until you can't do both anymore. Yeah. Until you literally cannot there's just not enough hours to kind of fulfill all of it and then at that point maybe you'll know that it's time for you to make a decision but yeah. um but yeah you have to really think about it and don't take on unnecessary debt you know can't try and be as lean as you can in terms of those kind of things yeah. it will help make it easier and mean you'll be under less pressure and stress and that kind of thing so this is really interesting so what you just <coughs> described there is it's pretty much like the uh, the, the definition of this this entrepreneur aspect to it which I, I i looked it up because i thought i probably should know the exact words from the uh, the uh, the the collins english dictionary and entrepreneur is the owner or manager of a business enterprise who by risk and initiative attempts to make profits and that's kind of what you're getting at there right mm -hmm. you know your your wife's transition from being in the corporate world to suddenly being a, an entrepreneur along with you really right. you know she's going to have to start taking these risks which you've just accepted as part and parcel of your your life in in, in the sort of the hope to to make profit as the entrepreneurial bit the business bit of it yeah um, and of course you know uh, as we said before you're you're both sides of this artist as, uh, as the entrepreneur because you are also the artist you know it's right it's yeah it's, yeah there it's, is it's, i think yeah i mean risk risk is one of the big <coughs> excuse me sorry <coughs> risk is one of the big things that separates me and her i think men are generally more risk averse than women anyway oh controversial I think, that, I think it's true oh, okay. they've there's yeah. studies that show that you know men men women are more interested in people and men are more interested in things generally oh, speaking okay. yeah um and that's why w women tend to gravitate towards certain types of jobs and men tend to gravitate towards certain types of other jobs um and there's there are studies that that show that that you know it isn't that, that that women tend to go into say more nursing types of roles because they're more interested in people than they are in things right. and that's a people role right, um right. i've actually done studies in places like sweden which is like very egalitarian very split but you still see the same differences so it isn't anything to do with inequality of opportunity or that women are being forced to do this yeah. and men are being forced to do that um it is that you know not to get into another debate it's a slightly <laughs> completely <laughs> different thing but um but but my point in saying that is that you know me and her me and my wife are very i'm i'm very i'm i'm very open to taking risks yeah she's very risk averse yeah um and she's gonna have to slightly adapt her mindset and 
probably I'll have to slightly adapt mine to 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 accept the fact that we're now working together and for her to feel comfortable maybe I have yeah. to take slightly less risks than I would do if it was just me on my own and she's going to have to take slightly more and maybe that works as a good counterbalancing system and yeah. that's you know the old thing of you know what couples say well we work well together because you know yeah she yeah. likes cleaning up and you know, <laughs> I like cooking and I like you know I do all the laundry and yeah. she, you know she makes all the food or I do this and drop the kids off and da 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 we split the duties you know yeah, yeah of course um, yeah. and so that's kind of why you and, but also within that not just in terms of how you live together but in terms of your your day to day like well I like doing this kind of thing and I'm more like this in my personality and they're more like that yeah. and so you kind of end up gelling well together yeah. because you kind of balance each other out I'm you know I'm always worried about things and I'm very calm and so you know da 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 and we balance each other out so I think there's an element of that kind of in life and also within business as well sure and obviously the two the two mix if you work with with the people that you're that you're in a relation with or in your family um, so we'll see how that goes but but yeah, you're right. It is really about taking risks. And after a while, it just becomes second nature. Yeah. You don't really think about it. You just try to manage your day to day, manage your cash flow, think about what's coming in. You know that you have to get in the studio and do things if you know you need to earn money or you've got, right, this thing's almost finished. I need to finish it because I'm not going to get paid if I don't finish it. Yeah. And that's the ultimate sort of you know, the ultimate end game is like monetizing what you've spent all this time on. That's kind of the payoff, right? Yeah. Um, but doing all of these things and working on them and never getting them finished is never going to get you paid. Yeah. You can't do anything with a half finished. You've got four half finished tracks. Yeah. You can't do anything. You can't yeah. sell them to anyone. You can't put them on a label. You can't monetize them. Yeah. But if you've got two finished records, yeah, you can. Yeah. yeah so you're better yeah. off having two finished records than four or five or six unfinished ones yeah I mean, so did, did you ever get though to a point like you're part way through a track and you're just sort of thinking you know what this isn't working i've just got to scrap it and start again does that does that happen yes to you? but yeah. then you can use but then generally yeah depends on i'll either do some i'll either just leave it and start something new yeah or i'll go on to something a different idea and i'll flick back and forth through maybe 10 things i'm working on that are all kind of at the idea stage incubation stage i i do what's called incubation where okay. I will basically start an idea, yeah. I'll really like it, mm -hmm. and then I'll leave it. And when I go back to it, I want to like it as much as I did. I want to get that feeling again straight away when I go back to it. Oh, that's, that's what's in... called incubating. Ah, so you let it, you live with it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And essentially, I guess it's a psychological way of saying, do I love this idea? Mm. Is this an idea that moves me? Is it worth pursuing? Yeah, right. Um, and if you get that same feeling when you keep going back to it and it excites you, mm -hmm. And you manage to listen to it for an hour and it's just looping around, the chances are it's probably a pretty good idea. Yeah. So you should probably pursue that and develop it and then the next challenge is trying not to trying not to mess it up, basically. Trying to keep that feeling that you had with thirty seconds going around when it's a five minute track yeah. and not getting caught up and bogged down in the you know, the technicalities and making it sound like, because that's what happens when you start to get past that point. Right, right, right. So, but also another thing, because I do a lot of sound design, a lot of samples, I could turn that track into samples. Ah, so it's not, provided it's I've not created things. Yeah, yeah, provided okay. I've created the things, or yeah, I could yeah. just go, well, I, could, I, I didn't make that, so I can't use that. Right. But this piano I can, and this bass line I can, and this, you know, vocal cut up that I use, which is from a session I did with somebody or whatever. Yeah. So you can actually make use of it. And that's one of the other great things about getting into that world because yeah. it means that there's, you can kind of trim the fat basically yeah, yeah. and use that to go into something else. And, you know, one man's trash 
or it's, something that you don't isn't you're not moved by yeah. is another man's gold. They may love that yeah. that's that stab or that particular thing. So you have those possibilities there as well, but um, but, um, but it all depends. Another great example of of you know that entrepreneurial side, you know, creeping into the artist world. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I wonder if uh, everybody thinks in in the same way. I'm not sure that they do. Um, so I think as we're yeah, an hour and twenty. That's pretty good, right? My my aim of these twenty minute podcasts is just absolutely gone to hell. But that's good because this has been fascinating and really really interesting. Um, thank you so much for your time, Scott. Happy I, to do I, it. I, Thanks I for really having me. Appreciate it. Um, I will put links to Scott's website and his podcast uh, in the show notes. Um, so to my listeners, thank you for listening. Um, and once again, I welcome all feedback comments and suggestions for future shows uh, my twitter is at alex branson um, and if you want to message me directly just put podcast dm i'll follow you back and we can have a private discussion uh, or head to my website which is www.abcmusic.co there's a contacts page there uh, with my email address on so uh, thank you once again scott um, and uh, thank you for listening <laughs>